Hi friends, Owen Locke and Rick Talley here from Locke and Company Distilling. First off, we'd like to thank Sam and Jay at the Unfiltered Podcast for all they do in our industry, community, and more importantly, it's just good to work with great guys like them. Owen and I are Colorado natives. We've spent more than a decade perfecting our Aspenage rye whiskey, and we think it's well worth the wait. Rye whiskey usually isn't for the faint of heart, but we have to say this is hands down some of the smoothest rye on the market. That comes from our 95% rye, 5% barley mash bill and our unique aging process. We age our whiskey in smaller 30 gallon barrels for a minimum of two years. And then we finish the rye by adding hand cut and hand charred aspen discs harvested from our family property outside of Fairplay, Colorado. This artisanal process produces an extremely smooth rye with notes of light brown sugar, cinnamon to balance the spiciness of the rye grain truly delivering a taste like none other. So if you enjoy gold medal winning spirits, want to support small business, please consider making Lock & Co. Aspen Age Rye Whiskey your next purchase. You can find our Aspen Age Rye Whiskey at many bars and restaurants and most liquor stores on the front range and throughout Colorado. Check us out at lockandcodistilling.com. That's L-O-C-K-E at lockandcodistilling.com. Cheers from Rick and Owen. done one of these before a podcast i've been on a few yes i uh he's dressed for it yeah. he's got the hat i gotta have my hat on that's kind of your thing it it's is See, sh- here's the problem you know when you when you create a calling card like that early on in your career yeah. um people get really uncomfortable when you don't have it on it's like the Indiana Jones of craft yeah. beer. Oh, I was get, thinking the Crocodile really Dundee. Upset. Oh! Cro- Wait, tell us a story about the hat. Fuck it. Wait, let's just... This yeah, is- for sure. So I've had this hat for like... Well, not this exact hat. I've had a hat for like 20-something years. Right after my wife and I moved here, we were sitting slopeside in Winter Park at the Winter Park Music Festival that KBCO used to put on. 20-something years ago. I was at that. And I was sitting there, um, and they just had everybody sitting on the on the run with the stage at the bottom. Okay. So, great view. Yeah. But it felt, I could feel, like, something on top of my head, like somebody was poking me with needles or something. Well, what I realized it was, I was getting a hellacious sunburn because it was my first time up in the mountains since moving here from Chicago. So, like, halfway through the music festival, I'm like, I got it. I got to go get a hat. So I went down to the hat vendor, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. I'm like, don't you have any, like, hats? And he went through a couple boxes and pulled out another stack, and that's when he pulled out the Crocodile Dundee hat. And I'm like, that's the one. He's like, you know, it's like 80 bucks. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to just buy a hat up in the mountains. I want a hat. So I wore that thing, like. 15 years until it like crawled away one day and then I had to get another hat. I was going to say. <laughs> and and which, which incarnation are we on now then? This yeah, is hat number question. two or number three? number three? Number three. I Let's feel like every picture. Right no, business first. I know uh, no. that's Wilmington, Delaware. Nobody's calling for a beer from Wilmington, Definitely Delaware. Definitely not. And every, if it's important, they'll leave a, a message. Yeah, if they want you to ship them a beer, they'll right. figure it out. Every picture Shikes has of you, it's, you're wearing that hat. So and that's the thing. So if I don't have the hat on, they're like, who the hell is that guy? Which ends up being really nice when you take your wife out to dinner and you don't wear the hat. Yeah. Nobody knows who the hell you are. A little bit of anonymity. I can go to, I can go to, uh, uh, to the Wind on East Colfax, which is an account of ours, 
have my beer on tap there and I don't have my hat on, I can sit down with the wife and have a really nice Valentine's Day dinner or something. And it's like halfway through the dinner, he's like, aren't you going to say something? I'm like, no, we're out to dinner. I'm not working tonight. You're like undercover boss. <laughs> so, I mean, you're kind of a legend in Denver craft beer. You've been around for I think a it's while. infamous is the word. I Legend mean, in our minds. No, you really are. Like this. Thank is, you. I've I, 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 I worked hard to help this industry out the last 10 years or so. How's a guy get from Chicago? Where in Chicago? Proper? Or? Chicago proper is where the wife and I were living before we moved here, right down Lincoln Park, okay. DePaul neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, prior to college, I was uh, in the glorious suburb of Wheaton, on the west side. Um, is that on 88 or 80? I've been, I've What's been, on 88? It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, I, this is See he knows. I contribute zero to the Midwest conversations <laughs> ever. Grew up a Cubs fan, still a Cubs yeah. fan. That's oh, how you and get that from was Iowa a, to uh, Wrigley. That, that, took a, that was a bit of a challenge because my wife's whole family is uh, White Sox fans. Are you a Cubs fan? Or yeah. You oh, are? yeah. Yeah. Uh, I knew I liked you. One of the places I lived in in Chicago with my dad was literally three blocks from Wrigley. We could hear the games. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you grow up there? Yeah. Okay. So you. Yeah. Yeah. You're a, yeah. Do you miss winters? Like people are complaining about I, today. This I don't miss winters because once it snowed in November, it stayed until March. You know, people yeah. in Colorado know nothing about galoshes. Because it melts in two days. That's true. In Chicago, you know, you got your dress shoes on. You're going into the office, but you got to have the glasses over. Is that the rubber thing that you slip yeah, over yeah, your yeah, dress those shoes? Nasty, weird-looking clamps. I do know what those are, See? but you'd ask your brother if he's got galoshes now. For his flip-flops. His brother moved from here to Michigan, and mm. he's the reason you are legendary in what our mind. What was he thinking? Uh, Job. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's what uh, we have to do. What brought you out here then? Skiing. My wife and I actually met in a ski club. We were paying, I don't know, a grand, fifteen hundred a trip to fly out here for three days. And after we got married, we were like, you know what? Why don't we just accept the fact that we're spending our winters in Colorado and just move there? <laughs> what were you? Where were you working when you were in Chicago? What was she doing too? She is a graphic designer by trade, okay. and I manufactured and sold ski wear to Sears. So I was pretty hardcore into the skiing. I, I was even making ski jackets. You couldn't figure out industry. a way to get that as a write-off and stay in Chicago? or? Well, I mean, I, I could write it off as a, a business expense. What I liked writing off as a business expense was the trips to Las Vegas for the annual men's show <laughs> where we would have a booth and show off our jackets to all the sportswear buyers that was a that was a good write-off not to be confused with the men's review in Vegas, no right? okay no. just making sure no never had to never had to take one of my uh female buyers to the men's review you know if they want to go out to dinner where do you want to go if they just said no let's go to the men's review if they're buying, it, they're going. buying. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were, tell us the company? Yeah, sorry. Like, I, yeah. This, I'm blown away. I, I mean, too. this is crazy. It's as double always. Double black, actually. Double black. And they're not even around anymore. It was a say. private label for Sears, private label for uh, a little bit for Walmart, a little bit for Kohl's. Okay. But uh, then I up and left. I got married and left and left my dad in charge. So was, this, is, this is a company that you guys ran. Oh, yeah. 
that yeah. you owned and ran. Yeah. And you were you weren't just I, schlepping. I walked ski away gear. from all that just to move out to Colorado and go skiing. You smart ski man. Time? That was um, we're in AK right now, which is after kids. BK, before kids, yeah, 35, 30 days a year. AK, both of my kids are skiers now, but they're also, you know, my son also plays hockey. My daughter's a gymnast. So the schedule doesn't always present itself that we get to go the 30 days. But my son's graduating here in a year, and then he'll go off to college. And then when my daughter is old enough to drive herself, then the wife and I can get back to. We can get back to thirty days a year. AKA. 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 Okay. Yeah. After kids again. I gotta ask because I've got a gymnast in my family. Where does she do her gymnasticking? She is a jet kid. Where the hell's that? Jet kids gymnastics in Littleton, Southwest Denver, where yeah. we are. Okay. Iris goes so. to the peak on Broadway. Uh-huh. Yeah, both those businesses for some reason. I'm I've been the, to Peak a bunch of times for meets. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good. The, Sit there for four hours while your kid performs for four minutes. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> Sounds friggin' awful. Yes. Oh man, you gotta love gymna- gymnasts, gymnastics. Yeah. I don't know. But the burning beer question is, where do you ski? I have uh, when when Marnie and I moved here, we skied Winter Park in Copper. Because they were the first ones to come out with like a, a four pass or uh, a, a discount pass. Okay. And then my father, he retired in 2000 and moved up to Blue River. So then we started skiing Breckenridge because then we had a free place to stay. Where's his place in Blue River? We have a place in Blue River. He was right on Highway 9, 6115. And then he just sold it. Two months ago, he just got tired of the white stuff. It's too so bad. Now, understandable. So now I got to uh, start saving for the uh, family ski chalet. Yeah, are you getting there? How's beer sales? Beer sales are surviving. We, you know, nobody, of course, budgeted for the 2020 uh, <laughs> Wait, what uh, beer sales. <laughs> but uh, no, we have survived. We're, we're still here. Um, this is one of those situations where not expanding, staying small has been a huge advantage. We'll get huge that. advantage. We've got to remember to walk back to that. But let's tell the origin story. How does a guy get from schlepping Cole's ski jackets mm-hmm. to making beer and open a brewery? I, when we moved out here, uh, one of the... The second job that I had when we moved out here was working for the Rocky Mountain News. And I worked there for 10 years. Uh, IT telecom assistant manager. Did all of the telephone systems, the internet systems, all the cabling, whatnot. We built the new building at uh, Colfax and Broadway, which was about 100, 110 hours a week. Uh, to get that thing built. And you kind of saw the writing on the wall when we're building this $100 million Taj Mahal um, that uh, something was going to have to give. And uh, February 2009, pretty much like a week before what would have been the Rockies' 150th anniversary is when they shut down the paper. How long were you there? Ten years. So... I started out 
in 99 as, uh, as a contractor on their Y2K project, getting all their systems up to date, and worked myself out of a job because all the work we did worked, and <laughs> we didn't have a Y2K issue. And when my contract was up in February 2000, rather than let me go, they gave me a full-time management position. Did you ever meet Hunter Thompson? No, he was gone before. He was. He, he was gone before. But uh, my original partner in the brewery, uh, Hunter Thompson, was his uh, godfather. Are you serious? Because my partner at the time, John Fletcher, his father was a former publisher of The Rocky. Okay. And I think John actually ended up also naming one of his kids Hunter. That's wow. <laughs> That's <is> pretty cool. <laughs> I think we have a sticker on the wall still, uh, Hunter Thompson's sticker over there somewhere. What but, a fucking uh, no, he small was gone. World. He was gone. He was living in Aspen full time before, uh, before I got there. That's still, that dude, he defined a lot of my life. In weird we ways. know, we know, yeah. we know. So 10 years at the now defunct Rocky, right? which I actually remember when they shut the paper down. It was crazy. Were you even here, Sam? Yeah. No, but I remember it making news out in Iowa. I mean, it was a big deal. Yeah. That wasn't just some. No, it wasn't. Paper. It wasn't was a rag. Yeah. Big name. Hundred hundred and forty nine point nine years. <laughs> Man, that's a kick in the nuts. <laughs> yeah, it was, and that was like losing um, family. That is how close everybody was. Jesus. But uh, so I've what been homebrewing the whole two? time. I've been homebrewing the whole time, and starting in like two thousand, two thousand five, I snagged a. Uh, a fancy schmancy homebrew setup okay. uh, off uh, Craigslist. You want to know? I'm gonna get another one, but I don't want it. you don't get up. I, I will. I will well, get I up. Gonna, when Tyler walks by, we'll flag okay. him. Okay. Um, I was buying homebrew presents for my homebrew club buddies, okay. and I found one for me too. It was a 20 gallon more beer beer sculpture um, that some guy with more money than he knew what to do with bought. Oh, I'm going to get into home brewing. And this thing's got more valves and levers and plugs and hoses and stuff. He's like two brews in. He's like, oh, home brewing's too hard and complicated. It just sat in his backyard collecting pine needles for five years. So I snagged that. And that really started me down the trail of not just brewing a beer for the sake of, oh, I want to try this recipe. All right, I want to try this style. Okay. It really started me thinking consistency repeatability can i make this beer the same way twice can i scale it up from five gallons to 20 gallons can i um really try a bunch of different styles it came with two 12 and a half gallon jacketed temperature controlled fermenters i could start doing lagers i could start doing english ales 12 and a half gallons I know, so no, it was but a little I mean, guy, still, but, but I mean, yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing. Tricky. It was a pretty it's amazing big, yeah, setup. big for a home brewer. Um, and then in '07, when we were building the Taj Mahal at 100, 110 hours a week, um, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that something's got to give. So but, I started building the business plan for a plan B. Hey, you know, what would it take to go pro with this thing? You and clearly have a mind for like, but I don't mean to. Yeah. Like, but well, mean, but I'd, I'd I'd run businesses before, and that's that's usually the hard part that home brewers run into. Yeah. They might make great beer, but 
They're not always entrepreneurs. Professional brewing, opening a opening a brewery is more than just making great recipes. I mean, you got a you got a payroll, you got employees, you've got taxes to pay, you've got uh, monthly filings to make. It's more than just um, yeah, I make a great IPA. I should open a brewery. But you have, I guess, I was not even thinking that. But you have an engineering mind, right? Like if you're doing all of this. Yeah, stuff, I studied engineering at, at, at in college, and okay. and the meticulous nature of it is what really, uh, originally as a home brewer, kind of attracted me to the the hobby. Was the the meticulous nature of recipe development and and trying to repeat the recipe consistency um just the equipment too yeah exactly yeah some of the homebrew setups that i built before i bought that 20 gallon were pretty intense and uh a little overdone (laughs) i mean that's the theme in the show right you're this is dozens of engineers yeah probably that we've had on the show but again not too many that are that are entrepreneurial minded that that they're mentally prepared to run in and Operate a business right but that, off the that, bat. That was the nice part about the Colorado craft beer scene, even back in like 2007, is there was some pretty big names in the industry that were willing to give me the time of day as I peppered them with a dozen questions. How do you do this? What happened? You know, how do you account for that? You know, guys like um, Peter Buchard up at New Belgium or um, Brian over at great divide um he's you know kevin delang down and and bill i down at at, at uh dry dock, dry dock. Yeah. i almost said the brew hut because i was there yesterday picking up, <laughs> picking up uh yeast um were so generous in their time when i was doing my research um they really made it uh less intimidating uh less mysterious and, and, and much easier uh, so? in the long run. Just, you know, Just when, you're, when you're entering a new business, you have, you, have to, you have to create budgets, you have to create a plan, you've got to come up with a, how am I getting open. And if you don't have a grasp of what's involved, what is it going to take, um, you can possibly go down the wrong path and really screw yourself right away. Um, early on, when I was talking to the larger breweries, um, Brian Dunn and Peter, they were they were both giant packaging breweries, right? And you know, when I was talking to them, you, know, you could probably get open for two and a half million, but that's not going to leave you any operating capital until you start making a profit in two years. So you're going to want at least a million million five in operating capital and i'm just like what what what? four million (laughs) dollars and then when i went down to brew hut to uh pick up some ingredients because my homebrew shop beer at home was always closed on mondays actually printed it on the t-shirts closed on monday (laughs) (laughs) where is that at that That was south broadway that's the one on south broadway yeah okay yeah they're not there anymore unfortunately there's a brewery in there now isn't there or a Uh, bar there's uh just north of them is the barnyard yeah okay barnyard tap room um but when i walked in there and and dry dock had just opened then i saw what Kevin was doing on a little seven barrel pub system um, and just selling pints across the bar instead of, you know, six packs, 12 packs cans. 
all of a sudden it seemed a lot more possible, much more realistic without going out and finding $4 million somewhere. What so are, you, I was going to say, what do those research conversations look like, Tim? Where you're Stupid idiot asking a lot of stupid questions and, and a very, very patient and understanding and generous individual um, putting up with it usually. A lot of, beer, a lot of <laughs> beers in between too? Yeah, I mean. yeah. Um, it wasn't like I would go there for free beers. Right. But, you know, they, oh, you want a beer? Well, we have these, you know, while, while you ask me these questions and... and Kevin and Bill were generous enough to even let me hang out on a brew day while Bill was probably brewing Apricot Blonde. I was going to ask the if, they, yeah, <laughs> if they let you in and gave you a peek behind the curtain. Yep. And was that part of it, too? Was yeah. Really oh, yeah, seeing yeah. And that's something that I've tried to carry on here um, after we got open uh, is just somebody calls or walks in and asked to, to meet the brewer and has a bunch of questions, I've tried to be as generous as possible to, to pay it forward because um, that's how I got open. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be fair if I, you know, turned them away after everybody was so generous with their time when we were getting open. I think we have a new tree. We have the Kevin Delang tree. It's yeah, like a, it's certainly a brand. Kevin it's, Kevin Delang has opened so many breweries. Um, there's probably twelve to fifteen that have their roots at Strange. There's got to be at least twice that that have their roots at Dry Dock. Wow, good Midwesterners, you guys. Are. Yeah, that's what it is. That's right. Well, that's right. Our, our infamous right. Iowa football game. We, had, we went, <laughs> forgot about that. It, I'll tell you, Tim. We made a plan to interview Kevin. At first or Fresh Craft, Fresh Craft during okay. the Iowa Iowa State football game. That's an Iowa bar. Kevin brought a keg. I think that's the only reason they let us in. Yes. Ah. Okay. And then we <laughs> proceed. I mean, it was just so packed. It was a three-hour rain delay, and by the end of it, it was it was we were in bad shape. Wow. Yeah. We were, all of us. All of us. Yeah, it was it was something else. That's so. fun. It was a blast. Okay, so you, you're talking to these guys. Can you walk us through the, the decision to go small? Well, the, fir the, the first decision was funding. Um, not having access to a ton of family money. I, my, my family is, you know, nice Midwestern middle class. Um, could we have approached every relative possible and maybe come up with $200,000, $300,000, sure. Um, but the plan originally was, uh, and another person who was very generous with his time was uh, Sam Calgioni from Dogfish Head. I would see him every year in Vail at the Big Beers mm -hmm. Festival. Um, and he would all, and I had, I had the hat at that time, so he always recognized the dude with the hat. <laughs> So it does have some advantages too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, better than wearing an iPad. He started, <laughs> he started 10 gallons at a time. So all of a sudden, my 20 gallon system was huge compared to what he opened on. And the idea of brewing a bunch of different beers, a bunch of recipes, maybe not always having the same six or eight beers on. Oh, what did Tim come up with this week? 
um, was appealing in that it wasn't your standard brewery business model of we're going to put these six beers in cans and we're going to travel all over the state trying to sell them. Um, just, you know, it was like glorified homebrewing. Who else was doing what you, in 2010 what you decided to do in town? I mean, in when the- we opened in 2010, we were the 10th brewery in Denver and nobody was doing what we were doing. So Other than Kevin in Aurora. So was it. Kevin, Kevin on his seven barrel system next to the brew hut and the original dry dock setup was the only other taproom only brewery in the state. Was the first, right? He was the first in the state. Nobody had we ever done the, it we that way. We were the first in Denver. And prior to meeting Kevin and, and, and learning what he was doing at dry dock, I didn't even think that was legal. I didn't think, and there was, early on, there was some question to the legality of it. It wasn't strictly illegal, <laughs> but it wasn't strictly legal either. So first, I think we've had somebody allude to the vagaries around this yeah. revolutionary idea that Kevin that, came up and with. And that vagary also um, lent itself to some challenges in trying to get open because the city of Denver had absolutely no clue what the hell I was talking about um, wanting to open a taproom brewery. When I submitted the original drawings for this space, they rejected them because I didn't have a kitchen on there. They needed to know where the kitchen was going to be, and I didn't have a, a grease trap designated, and I didn't have a fire suppression hood for the kitchen, for the stoves. And I'm like, well, we're just boiling water and adding yeast. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think we need a fire suppression. That took two months, that wow. conversation. Um, in 2007, 2008, in 2009. 2009. 2009. Yeah. So we leased this space in August of 2009. I had hopes that we were going to be open at the beginning of October for Greater Maker Beer Festival 2009. We did not get our final... Um, occupancy permit until October of 2010. Holy shit. We were on a temporary permit in May. We opened on a temporary permit on May 19th. And we got our final, and that, that permit expired on October 6th. October 7th, that was a Thursday or one of the, anyway, our permit expired on the Wednesday of Great American Beer Festival week. Oh my God. And the final paperwork wasn't gonna be done till the following Monday so that we could get our certificate of occupancy. So we were in a total panic for four days that you know we weren't gonna be able to be open for the Great American Beer Festival. What was the work around there? I, there's the got work around there was the inspector that I was working with was gonna be out of town and the way he, Dated it to me it was that he couldn't help me because he wasn't going to be in town that week. And what that meant to me was that he was not going to be able to come by and, and shut inspect me and shut me down. <laughs> That's huge. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. That's the way I heard that right off the bat. I'm going to be out of town. I can't help you. I also uh, can't do anything if you do something yeah. wrong. Oh my God. And I'm not going to tell anybody else, apparently. Fuck yeah. Thank, thank yeah, God we, for inspectors we, having we, a... We, we blazed a lot of trails for breweries down the road to simplify the permit process, too, because 
they really just had no idea what the hell we were trying to do. So you're a bar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're going to be like selling liquor and like, no, we're just making beer and selling beer. And they just look at you like a deer in headlights, glazed eyes and like, what? Where's your kitchen? You know, because there was, you know, think about it. Wincoop, brew pup. Yeah. Uh, Rock bottom, brew okay. pup. Bull and bush, brew pup. Great divide. At the time, had a tasting room where they were simply giving... Samples tours. and they were and free tours. samples, right? And then they were selling cans and bottles to go. Okay, that now that registers. Yeah. Same with New Belgium. Okay, New Belgium was giving beer away for after tours, but they were not selling pints. Boulder beer would have been the same. Same thing. Well, yeah. Boulder beer was a brew pub, so they had the kitchen. Oh, they, they had okay. food. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, because okay. that was the way to go. The, the 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 real way to go was to open a brew pub. Okay, and if I knew anything about the food business or I had a partner that knew anything about the food business we would have opened as a brew pub but the best way to lose your entire investment in six months is to try and open a restaurant when you know nothing about the food industry <laughs> and then you man. add the complexity of beer and all of the regulation and, and taxes and stuff that goes along with that yeah that's just a recipe for disaster unless you've got a partner that can navigate the food side. You don't want to be learning how to open a brewery and how to open a restaurant all at the same time. But even then, that partner has probably hit and missed several times. Oh, and that's standard in the that's <laughs> yeah. standard in the in the restaurant business. Yeah. And they they don't even blink. Yeah. They don't even blink when a restaurant that's been successful for ten years fails, and then a year later you read in fifty two eighty, yeah, so and so doing it again. Famous, blah 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 is opening yada yada. And they just, they just, and that's a, that's a true entrepreneur that just doesn't even blink. Um, they just say, all right, well, on to the next. And then they open something else. So all this time you're, I don't want to say fighting with the city, but you're negotiating and you're going through inspections and revisions and everything else. Did Dry Dock even, like, was there a way for you to point to Dry Dock when you're discussing it with the city? Oh, yeah, say, but that doesn't matter because that's a roar. They didn't give a shit. That, that could have been, that could have been... New York City for that for all yeah. they care. They just didn't even want to consider it. It could have been an entirely wow. different country. Interesting. Yeah. And we would reference that and they didn't care. It was a total no. miss. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, so when we opened 10th Brewery, first one that was tap remotely. And then after that, as people came in and more people found Dry Dock and found Strange and realized that this was possible more and more opened under the the tap room only and that just started a, a huge wave i mean now we're at what 75 80 in denver and 400 in the state we were pretty close to the 100th brewery in the state when we opened and now we've got 400 425 in the state when you opened did you always know you were going to be a mentor like was that in your blood i don't think that was the plan, but I definitely wanted to pay it forward for all the help that we'd been given. I mean, I, I don't think I really made a conscious effort. I, I wouldn't have put an ad in the paper saying, hey, you want to open a brewery? Come on over to my place. Um, but it, it never occurred to me that I would not 
help somebody out that was trying to do the same thing, anything that I could do to make their life easier so they didn't have to go through the same nightmare that we went through to get open. But was that, I mean, sure. like looking back on it, was that kind of at your core? Are you, do you, are you that kind of personality that will... Yeah, I think, it, I, 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 I think we were pretty blessed to have so much help and support. A couple of stupid home brewers trying to open uh, a new type of brewery in Denver... Um, we, we definitely would not have gotten as far as we did before opening without the tremendous amount of help. Um, we probably could have spent a little more time maybe getting, uh, more involved in, uh, SBA entrepreneurial program. There's so many incredible, um, incubators out there that help uh, small business owners get open and expand. Um, we were just so focused on the brewery side and thought we had enough information based on the conversations that we'd had with fellow brewers. And what we went through to get open with the, the city, unfortunately, um, happens a lot whether it's with a, a brewery or a restaurant any business for that matter you know you plan an opening in october it might be november it might be december um stuff comes up i mean our original uh startup budget was 50 grand and it ended up being 150 grand we had all the equipment, so all we had to do was paint some walls, buy some bar stools, build a bar, and we were good. Well, so we thought. Who's the, well, we're on this topic. I mean, we've covered 120 breweries now. Who's the next Tim Myers in terms of being that mentor? I mean, who, who, people come to mind for me, the boys over at Woods Boss or Betsy Lay and Ju Lady Justice. I mean, mm -hmm. who do you see? Um, I, I see a lot of them out there that are willing to spend the time to uh, help, help other brewers succeed. Um, Scott Witso opened uh, Wits End a year after we opened. He hung out here for quite a while before he opened. And then breweries like Destige. Uh, uh, up in Tennyson neighborhood, uh, Scott mentored them, so it was nice. He paid it forward. Um, trying to think, I had a couple names in mind. It's unfortunately been a, a a long day, but I would like to say there's at least a dozen or two dozen other small ones out there that are are paying it forward as well. Everyone that we helped open has helped at least one other open. And uh, I don't think that has anything specifically to do with me other than maybe having encouraged it a little bit. But I think that's just indicative of the Colorado craft beer industry in general, um, which is, is pretty amazing compared to uh, some other industries that are just so vicious and cutthroat. I mean, oh, awesome. You, you know, you're, you're out of this ingredient. Cool. You know, oh, your 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 equipment just fried. Sweet. One less competitor. 
but in the beer industry, they don't even think twice but to help out. And what about Scott? I mean, that's a classic example of you guys taking care of each other, right? I mean, Scott hung out here before he opened over off of uh, Second Federal. Right. Yeah, Federal yeah. and yeah. And uh, I used to be able to ride my bike over there. That was great. But then things changed for Scott, and he hung out here again later on yep. by actually brewing here, right? I mean, he uh, if that's we, not we indicative. Moved, we moved him in to, to babysit his brand while he took a break. I, I hope that after he took a break, he would get back into the biz. Unfortunately, he's taking a longer break than anticipated. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, when, you've got, when you're raising a family and you've got other responsibilities besides just brewing beer, yeah. I mean, I understand that. I deal with that every day. This is only one of two jobs that I have. And the other job is uh, wife and two kids. Yeah, and that's like three jobs right there. The more important job is the way to phrase it. Well, yeah, I got yeah. I got in trouble with that one day. I was working the bar, and a regular walked in, and he's of course giving me shit. Don't you work anymore? And I'm like, well, get your ass in here at 5 a.m. and help me mash in. Um, I got to pick the kids up from school at 3:30. And uh, we were talking and talking. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's that's my second job. And he slammed his hand on the bar and he pointed his finger at me and he got all pissed off he's like let's get something straight that's your first job uh, this was a uh, this was a regular jeez yeah, yeah. bold move and I'm like okay all right just don't give me shit for not working yeah no kidding <laughs> what uh i mean knowing what you've learned and knowing what you've gone through over the last 12 months is this the model for craft beer, not just here in Colorado, but the rest of the country as we move forward? I mean, what have you, I guess, what have well, you learned? The, the, good, the good news for us in Colorado is we are the wild, wild west as far as liquor laws. Other states are, and I think we're, I think we're, if we're not already at 50 states that can have a tap room, we're getting close. But there are so many states, and liquor laws are so patchwork across the country that some states aren't even allowed to have a tap room. And, and all they can do is, is put beer in cans. There's some states where they can't distribute their own beer. They have to work through a distributor. In Colorado, we can self-distribute. I have a manufacturer's license and a wholesaler's license and a sales room license. Um, so we're pretty blessed in, he, in Colorado that I can do all three uh, under one location, keep it all in-house. Um, is this the only successful model? It depends on the year. I, all these big guys were killing it in cans for years, and then when the you know liquor store shelf space became sparser and sparser and more breweries are competing for space on the shelf all of a sudden the taproom model looked good i mean look at odell's they open uh river north and now they're getting ready to open sloan's lake um great divide opened in colorado springs and but then all of a sudden in 2020 all of a sudden the taproom model wasn't so great if you had beer and cans you were surviving if you were trying to sell pines across the bar you were dying so I can't, I can't say that one model is, is better than the other. 
because things could change, unfortunately, at a moment's notice. Um, the advantage that we have had in the last year, being small, we don't have a lot of overhead. Um, we can pivot pretty quickly to adapt to the changing uh, landscape. And that served us very well. We were barely down 3% in taproom sales when we were 100% to go. Just filling crowler cans. I mean, 3%. we filled so many crowler cans from March, April, and May. And that was just because of our regulars being so loyal and supportive um, that we survived. Now, we were down 90% in our wholesale because of all of our bar and restaurant customers that were completely shut down because they couldn't sell anything those three months. And Let me ask you, before Jay got here, you and I were kind of talking about on this on the same line. What does a craft brewery do with their beer bar, sports bar relationships as we move forward? Like, is it worth it for a place like Strange Craft to get back into that game. Not, I don't want to say a game, right? But say, all right, we're going to give you some kegs. Is it even worth it? Is that hassle even worth it? Or are we going to just, do we expect to drink Coors and Coors Light at every sports bar we go to? If, if you're going to do it, if you're going to go after the wholesale market, you've got to come up with a plan for it and you've got to be willing to spend the money to support it. You've got to have... Somebody focused on selling those kegs You've, and building those account relationships. You've got to have the extra inventory in kegs so that you can, uh, you get an order and you go back there to fill three kegs and you've only got two because all your kegs are out in the market. So you've got to know, all right, if I'm planning on selling 20 kegs a week, I got to have at least double that because they're going to be out two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, depending on the location. So you've got to have enough inventory in kegs to support that. You've got to have um, the extra staff. You've got to have a delivery truck. You have to be willing to make the investment in time and manpower to make that worthwhile yes you can you can be profitable doing that if you make the investment in it and there is some serious break-even points that you've got to be aware of you can't just sell five kegs a week to say hey we're on tap at falling rock and fresh craft um you might be giving those kegs away for 20 bucks a keg based on um what it costs you in you know monthly lease payments or truck payments insurance payments um your insurance is probably going to go up because um of company vehicles being driven more miles per year to make deliveries uh you've got to have a budget in there for sales staff uh, a driver uh you've got all those extra kegs that you got to wash and you've got to have the extra capacity in the brew house to cover your bar and 
cover your wholesale. You can't take the last keg of breakfast grapefruit IPA that you were going to tap tomorrow evening. You can't take that off and sell it wholesale at a fraction of the cost just to keep your wholesale account happy. You know, you're giving up $6 pints to sell it at a fraction of that. So if you're going to do it, you better make the investment in, you, you better take the time to plan through it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a spreadsheet nutcase, and I've got, a, I've got a, a pricing program that covers all of my overhead, ingredients, um, what it costs to, to deliver. I mean, this is back from 2015 and 16 when we were also selling cases of bombers, I and mean, we were in 140 liquor stores. I'll take 50 keg accounts over 140 liquor store accounts any day as far as logistics and management. Um, but, you know, we tried that route for a little while, and it was, it was fun. It was, it was um, gross revenue was like being open an extra two to three weeks every month. Net revenue was probably a lot lower than that. And if you don't do it right, especially in packaged beer, uh, is your sales rep, when they're making those sales calls, also checking the shelves, what's the date on that can or bottle that's still on the shelf? Is it from two weeks ago or is it from two months ago? We were buying, you know, we got out of the bomber business in 2017 because I was buying... 20% back because um, I didn't want old beer on shelves. And when you're a monster doing 50, 100,000 barrels a year and you're buying back a few cases, um, it's not that big a deal. But when you're, you know, you're only distributing uh, 100 cases a week and you're walking back with 10, it's brutal. How much of that can be, or is it at all, offset by your proximity to Mile High Stadium? Is that big for a place like Strange? Once upon a time, you were the closest craft brewery, right? and now and you're what, the third? Once upon a time, we had a winning team, too. <laughs> <laughs> Does I've that written, directly correlate I've, to the amount of beer that you sell here? But yeah, we've we've taken a lot. You know, we've had a lot of people say, "Wow, man, you're right by Mile High Stadium. That's got to be great for business." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, eight Sundays a year, yeah, plus some concerts and some soccer games in the Mammoth. Uh, bring some folks over, um, and a lot of our regulars that have been with us for eight, nine, ten years, found us because they were walking by. They parked somewhere south of here in the neighborhood because it's free parking. And they were walking by on their way to the game, and they saw this roll-up door open and people sitting inside drinking beer. And they poked their head in. Is this a bar? <laughs> um, and as soon as we told them it was a craft brewery, they turned around to leave and ran after them and dragged them in and poured them a farmhouse and a Cherry Creek. And they're like, wow, this is great. This isn't beer because they're thinking, you know, bitter beer face. Yeah. Yeah. West Coast IPA. Oh, all craft beer is West Coast IPA, right? So, yeah, it was, it, it was great having that 
uh, as a draw to the neighborhood. I mean, there's nothing else in this neighborhood that's going to draw people uh, over here. It's not like we have a bunch of people walking up and down. We don't even have sidewalks. So it's Nobody's not like we have a bunch dog, of, yeah, they're, they're not kids. just wandering around uh, pub crawling the Sun Valley neighborhood. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day soon. You never know. So, um, so my height, not really a major factor. But the, but the last, I, I, I joke with, with regulars that I've written, uh, I've written John Elway letters letting him know how much business we've lost the last five years. As a, <laughs> as a, as a devoted Broncos uh, fan, um, it's not just about the losing season. As a devoted Broncos fan slash business owner, you know, it really has an economic impact when your team's having losing seasons. That's something we've never even explored Bears here. Fan, then I think it goes up, right? If you're a Bears fan, I would assume oh, I don't know. beer consumption in Chicago. Oh, yeah. They lose, you drink yeah. more. You drink more yeah. in Chicago. But nobody when they wanted lose. to come by to drown their sorrows after a game. When we would win, they're coming by, they're celebrating. We'd stay open. We'd get open three hours before the game, and we'd stay open three hours after the game. And we'd be packed solid. And finally we'd say, all right, you guys, you got to get out of here. Sorry. <laughs> well, we've reached that mark. Have we? Uh-oh, yeah, what's that mark? That went, um, you know, we're almost to an hour. We're almost to a two-part episode That here. was an hour already? Yeah, we've done Time it. Time flies when you're having fun. I think we'll round two eventually, but I kind of want to pick it your took brain. It took us two years to get round one on the yeah, books. Yeah, I want to pick well, your brain Well, I had an unfortunate <laughs> emergency. I don't even remember what it was anymore. There's always emergencies we with did. kids. We did. That's right. I forgot about we that. We were scheduled, and you guys were sitting in here, and my bartender called me. Um, Is that right? And I was on my way to a, don't a, even worry a about family it. emergency, but I still, you know. Hey, we can't I think I would rather I forget I about think that I'd rather do a beer podcast than a family emergency oh, yeah. though any day. Sam went through that earlier this week. <laughs> yeah. so we we canceled yeah, on something thing. else and and yeah nobody's giving you a hard time. No, Not intentionally I, I, but I can give myself a hard time though. Yeah. Tim Myers, Strange Craft, thank you so much. Oh, we didn't even get to talk by. about the beer. Oh, and we, we, we got to. Uh, yeah, yeah, we haven't talked about the beer yet, but we got to get a refill. We'll do it. We'll do it on the, the next one. We, yeah. uh, Off the record. Yeah. After dark. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks for Tim. talking strange with me.